Good evening. When studying Lesson 36 of the Book of John in my small group study, we encountered this verse in 19.1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. That verse helped me recall that over a decade ago, I had seen a reproduction of a whip which may have been like the one used to scourge or flog Jesus. My older brother began to research the whip that the Romans used to flog during the time of Christ. In his research, he found a gentleman named Joe Donahoe from Washington State who had already poured a lot of research into this effort. Joe studied ancient writings and the thoughts of experts. He actually built prototype whips from the descriptions he had found. He used those prototypes in simulated floggings to see how they worked and how they would hold up. He came to the conclusion that the whip used on Jesus likely looked like this. It's impossible to know how close this is to the one that was actually used on Jesus, but it's highly likely that the whip that tore the flesh of our Savior had characteristics that were like this whip. This whip weighs four pounds. The handle is made from green locust wood, which is a wood that's commonly found in Israel. The wood is known for its strength and durability, and even today is used for tool handles. There are nine tails on this whip, and they're each made of leather. On the end of each tail is a metal ball, and the metal ball has spikes and sharp metal and bone cast into them. The tails are of varying lengths. This ensures that the metal balls all land in separate places and incur maximum damage. There's a strap that's woven through all the tails. This holds the tails apart. Without that strap, this whip self-destructs as it's being used. When a victim is struck by this whip, the metal balls embed themselves into the victim's skin and flesh. The whip is then pulled across the body to slice the skin and muscles into shreds. The men who wielded this whip wore the blood of the victims they flogged. It's impossible to know the exact process of Jesus' flogging. In the movie, The Passion of the Christ, the flogging's depicted as beginning with a caning. Jesus is portrayed as being caned with long wooden rods until the men flogging him come to a point of exhaustion. Jesus, who is beaten to the ground, then gets up and stands erect. 
The tormentors in disbelief then grab a whip, which looks very much like this. And then they whip our Savior repeatedly until there is but a spark of life left in him. Roman floggings to non-Roman citizens were brutal. They were meant to bring the victim as close to death as possible without killing them. It was common for floggings to tear open the flesh on the back below the ribcage, leaving internal organs exposed. A flogging of this sort was a death sentence. Let me repeat that. A flogging of this sort was a death sentence. If the victim didn't actually die during the flogging, they generally died in a matter of days from their loss of blood or infection. In 2 Corinthians 11.24, Paul gives us a litany of the trials he faced. He states, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. It's important to note that as a Roman citizen, Paul would never have been subject to a flogging like Jesus received. He would never have been subjected to this type of whip. The very fact that Paul states he received 39 lashes tells us that he received a different flogging than Jesus. Because there was no limit to the number of lashes a non-Roman citizen would receive. They were flogged until tormentors were either too tired to proceed or the victim was brought as close to death as possible. Jesus was allowed enough life to go to the cross to die. Roman crucifixions killed their victims through an agonizing death of asphyxiation. The nails driven into the hands and the feet of the victims did not shed much blood. The vast majority of the blood Jesus shed on Good Friday came from the flogging he received at the hands of the Roman persecutors. Why Jesus was flogged in the first place was through an incredible series of events. There's no evidence or suggestion that the criminals crucified on either side of Jesus were flogged. It appears that Pilate had hoped that the flogging would be enough to spare Jesus from a heinous death on the cross. Instead, it shed the precious blood of our Savior. I will have this whip in the back of the auditorium after the service, so if people would like to come and take a look at it, I'll be back there as long as people want to see it. Thanks. Thank you so much, Dean. Good night.
just need to pause for a moment and think about what we just heard. Very well done, by the way, Dean. Thank you. When we were planning for this, I thought about, mentioned briefly to Dean that I wondered if we should show the clip of the flogging, the scourging of Jesus from the original Passion of the Christ movie. But when I watched it again, it was just too graphic, just too graphic. But in one part of the scene, as Dean mentioned, as they went from the canes to the whip, they are harassing their supervisor, the lead soldier, and they take the whip and it claws into the desk where he was sitting and as they pull it back, chips from the desk begin to fly away. It's literally the whip clawed into the desk, pulled away and you could see the chips fly. And that's what happens to the human body, to the human skin. I want to take off from what Dean shared and have us to think about the whole death of Christ. And so if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 19, the very chapter that Dean mentioned. And I'd like us to look at verses 28 through 30. John chapter 19 and verses 28 through 30. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Two parts of this passage that I want you to especially notice. In verse 28, Jesus, or it says of Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. And then in verse 30, it is finished. So verse 28, knowing that all was now finished. And verse 30, where he says it is finished. Our first point tonight is the most important death ever. I have shared this with you before. The death of Jesus Christ is the most important event in human history. That is not a sensational statement nor a dramatic statement. It is simply the truth. The death of Jesus Christ is the most important event in human history. Everything in Jesus' life points to the cross. The Messiah came. He came to be the Lamb of God who would take upon himself the sins of the world. I know you've heard it many times before, but it is worth repeating both now and until Jesus comes. Jesus was born to die. He was. This was the Father's plan, that his Son be born to die. And the eternal destiny of every human being hinges on his belief 
or disbelieve in Jesus' death and resurrection. We have heard that so much in a church like ours that sometimes we become almost anesthetized to it. We become numb to it. We need to let it sink in. To have our hearts and minds refreshed that the eternal destiny of every human being hinges on his belief or disbelief in Jesus' death and resurrection. On this day, on the day that Jesus died, he fulfilled Old Testament prophecy and provided the hope and foundation of all New Testament teaching. Everything came together from the Old Testament and what had been taught and would be taught in the New Testament. It all came together on this one momentous day at this one momentous time. And all of history, all of history, either looks forward to the cross or looks back to the cross. All of history either looks forward to the cross or back to the cross. What... What Dean shared tonight, and I thought he did a good job of helping us enter into this, is beyond what I can imagine. The pain, the physical suffering, the deep, blistering, burning pain that he must have endured boggles the mind. But I want to share with you, as horrific as Jesus' scourging and crucifixion were, we must continue to remember that Christ's physical suffering was only a part of his overall suffering. So as sickening as his physical suffering was making the stomach sick. It was only a part of his overall suffering. And I want us to think tonight that in addition to all of that, the mocking, the whipping, the nails in his hands and feet, the suffocation, the whole ordeal of Roman crucifixion, in addition to all of that, as he hung on the cross, he endured the torture of hell for each and every one of us. Somehow, some way, defying human explanation, Jesus supernaturally on the cross endured the eternal punishment of hell for each and every one of us. The full weight of the wrath of God was unleashed upon him. We think of the all-powerful creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, the controller of the universe, who is perfectly pure and holy, and he unleashes the full weight the full weight of his wrath upon his son as he hung 
upon the cross. Which leads to our second point tonight, and that is a fully accomplished salvation. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was thoroughly punished for all of our sins and completely satisfied the justice of our holy God. And I'm hoping tonight that we can take what Dean shared and what I am sharing with you and seek to understand that Jesus was thoroughly, nothing left out, thoroughly punished for all of our sins, and he completely, completely satisfied all the righteous requirements of our holy God. He was made sin for us as he hung on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He was made a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Galatians 3.13 He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah chapter 53 As he hung there, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? An intense agony. Indicating, indicating that he was completely forsaken and alone. For the Father has turned his face away, has turned his back on the Son. And the Father had to do that because he was of two pure eyes to look upon the sin that his Son was bearing. In verse 30, we come to an incredible moment when we read. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Again, in verse 28, knowing that all was now finished. Verse 30, it is finished. When he spoke those words, words, our salvation was complete. And you may say, well, what about the resurrection? The resurrection was the declaration of victory, the declaration that our salvation was complete. And because our salvation is complete and was completed on the cross, nothing more can be done or needs to be done. And when we are so passionate and say over and over again that your good life cannot save you or your perceived good life and that your good works cannot save you because to think that we could add something to this is foolishness. Our salvation was completed on the cross, and nothing more can be done or needs to be done. To be saved, you must look to the cross 
and embrace it as your own. For any person, in any people group, in any part of the world, the way to come to salvation is always the same. It is to look at the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and to see that as your only possible means of salvation. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. This time Jill's going to come. She's going to minister in music. And then after that, we will share the Lord's Supper together.